Bam, we're live. Or is it Bam, we're live? No guest. Wait, there is a guest today. Jordan Levitt. Jordan Levitt? L-E-A-V-I-T-T. UFC fighter. Fights this Saturday. First fight on the card. What time is that at? Let me see. Saturday, December 18th, Jordan Levitt versus Matt Sales at... I don't know. Well, here he is. We'll ask him. We'll just be like, hey, Jordan, what time is your fight? Hey, Jordan, what time is your fight? 1 p.m. on Saturday. Yes, 1 p.m. Can't believe it. Can you believe it? Um, no, you know, I'm actually pretty excited for this fight. So it's this week's been very relaxed. So I'm pretty pumped. Um, I'm the first fight of the night. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I like to kind of like ease in, watch other people, you know, do their stuff first, but it should be good. I feel I, I like you and I, and I feel guilty that you're fighting. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's probably how my family feels actually. Yeah. Like I'm still- Go ahead, say it, say it. Oh, they're they're still, you know, kind of not all of them haven't really come to terms with it. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you know, there's, you know, it's super easy to to make the argument that we're all made to fight. Like that's it. That's the thing. You know, I've had fighters on the show. I can't remember who it was. If it was maybe I had Aljamain on here. Maybe it was Aljamain said a couple weeks ago. He said, "Hey, what, what was it?" It wasn't him. I can't remember who it was, but basically said, hey, if I beat you up, like it's done. Doesn't matter if your girlfriend's period mind. Doesn't matter if you have more money than me. Like I beat you up. Like what? You know, it's like it's 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 higher order um, man ego uh, reality shit. Right. Yeah. It's like hierarchies are so real. Hierarchies. Is, yes. You know, thank you. And I, and I really like you and I think you're uh, super, I, I just love your personality, your character, what you're doing with your life. But then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, but yeah, but I don't want, I don't want him to get hurt. But, but that it's kind of like, um, like you, you like a bird because it flies and then you bring it home and you put it in a cage and all the shit you liked about it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, you look great. How how is everything? How's the weight? How's the training? How's the haircut? How's the uh, love life? How's everything? How's the whole? Dang, everything's going pretty well. Haircut. I'm a little nappy right now. Just kind of woke up a little bit ago. I have a pretty decent fro when it's combed. So I have a fro for this fight. It's been a while since I've done that. Um, love life. Wife and family are good. My baby turns 11 months next week. Congrats. So yeah, that's all kind of flown by. It's, yeah, being a dad's cool. I think it suits me. Definitely, yeah, it was worth the wait. <laughs> say that um, again? Oh, yeah, being a dad's cool. It was worth the wait. And, yeah, she's starting to stand now, and she says dad and ba. It's, it's nice. It's, like, really cool. Like, the little, um, how fast they adapt and grow every day. It's really awesome to watch. I can't wait to have more. And, I mean, it's up to my wife, you know, because she has to go through the majority of the, crappy part so i've loved the whole being a dad part and you know it's been a nice adventure i i um, love 
I love to hear that. I, I have three little ones too. I have a two, four year olds and a six year old. And just last night, my dad's like, why do you do your podcast at 7am? So, so I can spend the rest of the day with my kids. I love it. Uh, well, yeah. um, how, how is that going? Um, it, it is, it is real. You, um, the time commitment. And if you don't have a great partner who, especially, so you have two things that you have to fully be dedicated to, right? Your professional athlete who has to get in the ring and put it all on the line. And that requires a hundred percent commitment. And then you have a kid that requires a hundred percent commitment. So kind of your, your mate, at least from in my life, my mate's like the most important thing in getting that job done. How is that going? The time commitment, your relationship with your wife and your ability to like manage all that time stuff. I actually feel like being an MMA fighter is, it gives me like, even though I spend still like six to eight hours a day, like training and doing technical work and everything, it's like split up. So I constantly get to be home in between everything that I'm doing. So like my baby, she'll take a nap basically for two hours and I'll be back. So she sees me for the majority of the time that she's like awake and I don't, I haven't really missed any of like the milestone moments. So I'm really lucky because, you know, you know, a lot of my families, like their parents, like everyone misses something because one person's watching the baby, other person's working or both are working. And I'm actually very fortunate that I'm there when my baby wakes up, I'm there when she goes to sleep and I get to see her for the majority of the in between is if I like time my workouts correctly. And I haven't really had to juggle being like a dad and being a fighter too much because luckily they sleep a lot right now. And mm. yeah, and I just, I'm gone for like three hour blocks. So it's been actually pretty, I'm actually pretty blessed to have kind of my um, situation the way it is. And your wife's cool with, with the time commitment you, that fighting takes? I mean, is anybody ever really cool when someone's gone for big part of the day but she's she always says she's happy like i don't have a regular job because if i wake up and say she needs to like she needs some extra help in the morning like i can stay home for i could i could stay home for a session i could reschedule i could text some people say hey you want to work this at this time and i can just do that if i was working a regular job i couldn't say i'll just come in three hours later and that's how it's gonna be but i you know it makes it easier for me to like be a helpful husband and I don't have all that guilt where I come home after a long day and yeah and then I'm too tired to do anything so it's like it's awesome my conscience is clear and I get to see my baby all the time and I get to be a good husband and yeah I get to avoid a lot of those usual issues that some people run into and you're living in Vegas right Jordan yeah pronounce your last name for me Levitt Love it. Um, so you live in Vegas, you train in Vegas, and your fight is in Vegas. I know it's perfect. I hate traveling. <laughs> and um, will you sleep in your bed the night of the fight? No, um, since COVID, like all the COVID rules oh. is like I have to check in right after weigh-ins. But the bubble, they've shortened it a lot. You said to like check in five days before, and that was annoying. I hated that because, like, I'm I live like five minutes away from the apex, and so it was. It's always kind of frustrating where I have to like leave my like family for five days. But yeah. now, I basically just have to get like a daily COVID test, and I have to constantly go there. But since it's right around the corner, it's not too bad, and I get to sleep in my bed right before I, you know, starve myself and sweat myself to death, and and then I'm just gone for like 24 hours. So it's 
it's pretty cool. It's way better than fighting Abu Dhabi. I can't imagine flying across the world, quarantine for a few days, and then being stuck in a hotel for like 10 days. So as long as I don't get my passport, I'm not doing that. I should be fighting here for the majority of the time. Do you not have your passport? No. Um, when I first got my UFC contract, they were doing like every other week in Abu Dhabi. And they told me, if you get, you have to get your passport so you can fight in Abu Dhabi. And I was like, so on the flip side, if I don't get my passport, I can only, I will only fight in Vegas. They're like, free. yeah, basically. And I never got back to them. I'd prefer just to stay here. <laughs> um, you wanted, you were talking about in one of your interviews that you wanted to fight in um, October, November, and you didn't want to fight too close to Christmas. You ended, you ended up fighting. You're going to fight on December. Uh, what is 18. it? 18th. How is that for you? Are, you? are you still, are you fine with it? You good? Yeah, I just had to start my weight cut a little early so that way I wouldn't have to be stressed out during Thanksgiving. Oh, right, right. Um, I was a vegetarian for like five years when I was younger, and I hated being the person like, oh, sorry, can't eat that. So this year I, you know, cut the weight a little earlier, um, suffered like a week or two extra. That way I can not make Thanksgiving annoying for everybody else. And yeah, it's a week before Christmas, but... Hopefully nothing. I won't have a black eye for any of the pitchers and I can get a bonus and then the year well. And yeah, Christmas is always stressful. So I guess a paycheck right before is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. Uh, guys, Jordan Levitt, 26 years old. He's fighting this weekend, uh, Saturday, uh, 1 p.m., December 18th. We had Jordan on the show before. I highly recommend going back and listening to it. Um, you so you come you come to the, you make it to the UFC you have that first fight that's just nuts everyone should definitely see that fight uh, against Matt Weinman then you fought Claudio uh, Poyes yeah Poyes and, and that went the distance um, a pretty uneventful fight I like what you said um, you didn't lose the fight you ran out of time. Um, <laughs> and you know a lot of people you could be like well that's just a bullshit excuse but if you watch the fight actually. Fits, fits quite quite nicely and i really like that uh i watched i watched all your interviews that you've done in the last you know couple months your confidence is um extraordinary it's still obvious you you believe in yourself uh to the fullest or or at least you have me tricked um <laughs> what what's the deal with this guy matt sales he seems like um it seems like both you guys are the real deal and and, and something's going to be settled. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's two new guys with two great records who've had some great wins and some great fights. And, uh, and, and now you guys are facing each other just bam, right off at 1 PM. What do you, what do you think about him in the fight? I like him. We, the past two years, we've actually been kind of like a nice, like mirror for each other. We both had a knee surgery. We both had a daughter recently, or we both moved up the weight class. Um, yeah, I I don't know too much about him. I tried not. I usually like stalk my opponents, check out their Instagram, watch all their interviews. But I also feel like that kind of gets in my head sometimes. Like you start to feel too much empathy, and it's hard to like want to fight somebody and beat right. them up if like you know about you know. Oh, their daughter's birthday was yesterday. Oh, they had went through this trial, and you start to think like maybe I don't deserve this one. Maybe this person would be happier, and it'd be better off if they won. So I've just I just watched his fights. He's got a big right hand, um, pretty good. He's got smooth striking, pretty well-rounded. And yeah, he, he thinks he's going to knock me out. And I guess it could happen. But I 
I don't think it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen either. What What about this? Speaking of empathy, so after the Chris Chris Weinman fight, anyone who watches that fight, it's a it's a sorry, not Chris Matt. Matt. Um, uh, there is it, the the knockout is vicious, and we all know it went viral. And you're in the ring, and you're in the octagon, and you it's very emotional for you. Basically, w- what it looks like is the viewers that you feel bad that you knocked them out. Now. And, and that makes perfect sense to me. I always wonder, um, you know, we even saw it. I don't know if you watched the Lomachenko fight last week, but he's beating this guy and he has to look at the ref and he has to look at the corner and be like, hey, someone needs to stop this shit. Like you can tell at some point he's like the empathy kicks in is, is what it looks like. But what is <laughs> that comes to this question? What is worse, knocking someone out that viciously or losing to Claudio uh, Puez? You know, does that fix that? You get one loss and you're like, okay, fuck this empathy thing. I'll go home and cry and feel bad. But in the ring, I just got to mash dudes. No, that, that really helped me a lot. Like, I, okay. up and still, up until after my loss, like, I had conflicted feelings about knocking out Matt Whiteman. Yeah. Um, I like never really, I never watched it. I never posted videos of me slamming him. And then I lost my fight and I'm like, well, this isn't, this doesn't feel nice either. Right. You know, I go home, I look in the mirror and like I'm seeing a loser for like the first time and like made me angry and made me like doubt like a lot of the stuff I did. And I'm like, dang it, I always have doubts and insecurities, but it's better to be a winner and have all those negative emotions, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I I prefer not to hurt people. That was my first time ever knocking anybody out, like, period. Like, I've dropped people, but that was my first time sleeping somebody and. I liked Matt Wyman. I looked up to him. So there's a lot of like mixed emotions. His wife was ringside. That was always a, that, yep. that, that should, shouldn't be allowed. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll feel a little bad if I knock out somebody again, but I can't, I can't worry too much about it. Chances are they'll be fine. <laughs> um, D- Jordan, do you have this thing, the killer instinct that I hear people talk about? I, I, I feel almost so bad using the word because I don't really know what it, I don't know what it is, but do you have that? For me, it's um, like I never like I'm like, oh, let's fight. I'm never like super pumped in that way. Like I don't enjoy the fist fight, but I don't I feel like I don't want to sound weird, but like I kind of disassociate like hurting somebody during the fight. And then as soon as it's after it kind of kicks back, it's like it's very like cold and calculating for me when like you cut somebody or you hit somebody or like you're hurting them and like you hear them like kind of like grunting and effort and pain and you know like you feel someone break i don't really like feel emotions during that time it's mostly like kind of like if i was like in a video game like you see like the health bar at the top yeah you kind of of, imagine that over somebody i try to like separate myself from a lot of like the primal instinctual like emotions and feelings you have um, some people work it was interesting some people in the videos i watched in the last couple of days were comparing you to ryan hall is that the guy's name and yeah and then and then i also heard you say that you're that you need to really work um after your claudio fight you need to work on on your urgency for those of you guys who don't f- follow fighting um there ryan hall is a very very peculiar fighter everyone respects the shit out of him he's really really fucking trippy he's like one of those weird fish that lives like in a saltwater tank that like you're just staring at and you're not sure like how'd you get in here with the rest of the fish you know and there's no doubt that jordan has some of those qualities 
There's no doubt. He's, a vi- um, a, you know, from the fans and from the commentators, he's very, very uh, grappling jujitsu um, uh, oriented. And there's a, yeah, almost like a slowness to you guys. Maybe slowness isn't the right word. Maybe it's urgency. But you don't behave like someone who's in a fight, either of you. Like everyone else, there's a bit of a franticness to them. And you're like, and you, and you know, and yeah. What do you think about that comparison? Do you need to fix that? Is that just who you guys are? Not like I, I'm like, both I mean, it's flattered. a compliment, right? It's a compliment, yeah. but it's also a little weird. You're like, ah, oh, that guy, there needs to be some urgency. Yeah. Um, we're both just very like confident and like, we know what our abilities are and we know like what's going to happen in certain positions. And like, we're both like, we're both like when, when you interview, when you listen to his interview, like we're both very frank, like, Oh yeah, this person could knock me out. They could do this, this and that. But you know, we're just very confident in our preparation. And for me, it's always been like, as long as I can get the rounds in and get my cardio in and the strength training in, like if I'm better than this person, majority of the time I'm going to win. I shouldn't stress out about what they can do because if you're not getting beat constantly inside the training room, you're probably not going to get beat very often in the fight. And yeah, I I'm flattered by the comparison. He does. I feel like he lacks even more. He lacks even, um, he lacks urgency even more than I do. And yeah, it's almost like he's not in a fight. It's almost like he's not in a fight. Yeah. And he kind of is like, it's super easy to go out there and say relax when you know a person's not even going to like engage you in like one area of the fight game. Uh, It's always nice to know you always have a trap, like an escape route that no one else wants to follow you down. So like no one will ever grapple him because he's one of the best grapplers in the world. So he can strike with you. And if he doesn't like it, he'll just fall to his butt. But you're not going to do anything. He gets to pace himself, get up slowly, you know. And for me, it's like... I know on the ground, no one's ever going to hurt me. Like, I'm very good at, like, not getting hurt. I know on the feet, my defense is pretty airtight. I don't get hit. So, for me, it's very it's very easy for me to be confident in my offense because I know usually, I know the chances are I'm probably not going to be eating too many things, too much, like, punishment back. Um, and you guys are in the same weight class, you and Ryan. Um, he's 145 right now. We were in the oh. same weight class up until about a year ago. And now he's Last a 45er. Week. He fought at 45 last week? That fight was at 45? Yeah. Oh, okay. And and you're not doing that. You're not messing with 45 anymore. No, because I got a kidney failure in my last 45 cut. So it kind of forced me to move up. And and I weigh, I'm like pretty like dry right now. I've been like water loading. So I'm like losing a bunch of water weight. And I'm like still like 173. Wow. So I still like 18 pounds to go. So yeah, 45 was like not even like in my wheelhouse anymore sadly <laughs> what is that it's wednesday morning yeah so like 40 like 48 hours almost is that is is 18 pounds a concern no nah. no okay nah. um i just look at two gallons of water and that's basically how much i have to lose but um oh you just drank you drank two gallons knowing that that's what you have to lose oh no it's just like i see like that's how i like i visualize it you know it's okay. like okay it, 16 pounds is two gallons and I have like 18 pounds left and I still feel pretty good. I'm still, I sparred yesterday, never supposed to like spar week of, but like I sparred felt good five rounds and going to do some drilling today. And 
I had two, three gallons on Monday, two gallons yesterday. I about have like three fourths a gallon today, so the body's gonna drop like five or six pounds. I started carnivore yesterday, so yeah, wow. weight'll come off. I'm not too concerned about it. I don't think this weight cuts be too bad. Uh, one of your fellow fighters, uh, Dylan Vowell, uh, he just says, hopefully they don't forget that you can KO them too. Twenty second slam and sleep. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the possibility of me knocking out Matt Sales is very um is very real, and he's like, oh, he's either gonna smit me or I'm gonna knock him out, and that's, that's kind of like the only scenarios that are gonna play out. And I mean, I trained with Dan Hooker; he's a top fiver. I've trained with Cowboy. I trained at one of like the best gyms in the country, and all the fights, all the rounds of sparring, they start on the feet. So I just grapple because I know I'm dominant there. But if he can stop me from implementing Plan A, like Plan B is going to go just as bad for him, I imagine. So it would be nice to get like a knockout again. Uh, all my all my all my UFC wins could be by knockout, and all my fights before that could be by submission. And Sean Strickland trains in your gym. He very recently moved, but yeah, Sean Sean was there for about two years. And where did he go? Just at um, Extreme Couture's, like right down the street. So I still see him on the days where I go to a different gym and get some rounds in. So even though. My family is kind of splitting up a little bit. I still see them all because I'm all over the valley. <laughs> is that normal? Is, are there hard feelings? Is that normal for guys to like cruise around? Um, it depends. Like the MMA world's very interesting because like some gym gym, gym owners are like cultish. Like you can't learn from anybody else. You can't help out anybody else. And uh, in Vegas, a lot of the coaches are like that. So there's a lot of drama when you gym hop in Las Vegas for whatever reason. But you go to other places, and from what I hear, it's not too much like that. Like, people acknowledge that, hey, like, I'm one person, or like, we have like four coaches on staff, there's 80 of you. It makes perfect sense for you to try to get more personal attention to somebody else. And for me, it's all, it's like, as long as you know where your home gym is, and like, you know where like your main training partners and like your family is, it shouldn't matter like where you're visiting. So I go to boxing gyms and I visit Couture's every once in a while, and I'm friends with everybody. And it makes it harder to get fights because you train with more people in your weight class and whatnot. But you know, a lot people gotta understand that like fighting's like almost like investing in your education. You need to constantly learn new skills to match the like the market and to be competitive with other people. And for me, as long as you're gaining knowledge, it's the most important thing. And yeah, some people don't like that. <laughs> I think it's probably also um, personality driven too. I, I, I suspect that you, the kind of personality that you have, people are more okay with you visiting their gym or coming to their gym or leaving their gym. You're just not a, um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's easy to accept you. Yeah. And people just know, like, like if say, if I know two people at a separate gym and they're fighting, like they know I'm not going to help out either of them. Gotcha. Like, oh, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, if you watch his fights, you see this. But like anything personal, like I, I ain't gonna do that. You know, um, I feel like a, as long as you're not like a sleaze bag, people usually aren't gonna you know mind you too much. And I don't hurt people when I spar, and I always help out and offer my two cents. And and yeah, and people appreciate that. So I think it makes it easy for me to hop around. How did you know when you were serious? Like the other day, don't laugh at me. I knew that finally, I, I you know, I take my kids to jujitsu uh, three, four, five, six days a week. 
um, never less than three, often six. And I knew that we were serious when we got nail clippers for the car that just live in the car. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, this is getting serious. How did you know that when this was, what were some of the signs you're like, oh shit, this is serious? Um, when I started, when, when I was training and they're like, so, and all the coaches, like every coach, basically would be like, so like, what do you, what's, what's your end point in this? And you only ask that question in two scenarios. Number one, like the, per, the you don't belong in that sport. And they're like, hey, and you might want to think about your end game, like get out of here. Or okay. they're like, no, like you kind of got it. And especially as a person, like a lot of like self doubt and like this imposter syndrome, like monkey on my back that I've been like kind of dealing with for like the entire fighting thing. It's makes it easier to kind of wing it when, you know, other people believe in you. Uh Um, Like if you believe in your training partners and they believe in you, like by extension, you should be able to believe in yourself. And I'm kind of slowly coming to terms of like, I'm a fighter and I belong here. It wasn't an accident. And I'm not just beating these people because I see a hole and they're unlucky enough for me to like expose that thing. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm actually good. Maybe I belong here and I put in the work in and I'm the person that deserves to win in a lot of these circumstances. So, so, so the, the, it was when someone said something to you and you're like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I, I think for some reason, I, I like imposter syndrome. Hmm. By that, I mean, I had made 10 movies. I had directed and produced 10 documentaries. And I still would never call myself a director. Like if someone said, what do you do for a living? I would be like, oh, I'm in media. Then I would meet someone and I'd be like, hey, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a director. And they're like, what have you directed? Well, nothing yet. And I'm like, and I used to think, well, that's interesting. They're comfortable calling themselves a director. They haven't made any movies and I'm not comfortable. Finally, I just became, I just, I kind of just accepted it. Like, it's fine. I can make movies and just not be that. I don't know. I always feel like imposter syndrome is like, they couch it as as like, you should believe in yourself, but not if it's, I'm like, well, not if it's working the other way. Like if I don't believe in myself as that and I, and I'm still crushing it, you know what I mean? Maybe you should, maybe that's good for you that you just, it's good to not believe in yourself so that you always have something to prove to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like you leverage yeah. that insecurity. It's like they said, someone, I heard someone ask Tyson one time when he was young, Hey, you know, are you going to go to a shrink and get this fixed? He goes, nah, this is what makes me a killer. I, I, it would, it would be messed up if they fixed that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like everybody has like this great weakness, like a shadow. But like, even though like it's painful, it's like a cross kind of a bear. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, like difficult things and like tri- tribulations, like really build you and make you go and force you to grow. Not yeah. just like stay in the comfort zone and like do like, oh yeah, I, I believe in myself. I can do this because like I'm enjoying it. Sometimes it's important. So like, Sounds weird, like kind of to like hate it. Yeah. Like to want to like to enjoy the struggle. And for me, it's like there's a sports psychologist on staff at the UFC, and I've never used him or anything. Cause I'm like, first off, I don't think anything's wrong. You know, like I'm pretty sure I know, like I don't, sometimes I doubt if I am good or anything. And that's very natural. But because I doubt that, like I never take for granted like my training days, I never take days off. I, I'm always working. I'm always training. And even though it makes me a head case on fight week, like it all pays off on fight night because when you're fighting somebody and they're trying to knock you out and you know, everything else disappears in the periphery. And 
I don't have anxiety when I'm in there. So it's better for me to be better prepared. So yeah, I feel you a lot on that. When does it go away? Is it, is, does literally like that you have to hear the bell ring? Um, my, when I took my, I know it's only a seven year old kid, but when I took my seven year old to the, when I take him to jujitsu tournaments, he told me one time, he goes, man, I was shaking so much. And I go like really shaking. He goes, yeah, he goes, I was vibrating. And I said, even when you're going, he goes, oh no, soon as they say go or kumbats or whatever they say, he goes, you stop shaking and you start fighting. And I was like, just like that. He goes, yeah, I go. And he goes, and you don't start shaking again until your next fight. Is it like that? Are you basically like vibrating? Yeah. For me, for the most part, like. My like you're about to fight. kiss a girl. That's the only thing I can think of. Like, like the first time I was about to kiss a girl, I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to vibrate out of my skin. Yeah, the anticipation is just a lot worse than, they you know, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like when you fight, like there's all this fluff, there's weigh-ins and there's face-offs and there's the walkout song and you're like there three hours early because they put you in the locker room. They don't want you to run off and whatnot. And all of that is not part of the usually usual routine. So like everything's you're distracted by all this fluff and like grandeur. And then as soon as they say go and you touch gloves, then it's like, oh, I'm familiar with this. I do this all the time. My best fights has been when basically somebody like pushed me out of my anxiety. I had this one weigh-ins. We're at the weigh-ins. The guy like put his fist in my face. And I was not anxious at all for that fight. Like he made me like kind of like, okay, you want to fight? And that like kind of put me back into like, oh, I'm at the gym. This guy's being a punk. Like I'm about to, sw- I'm about to swat him. And that fight, I basically... I still, it was only 70 seconds, but I've never like came up, came out with like, no, like so much pep in my step. And I was just very aggressive. There wasn't a glove touch. I just like walked out there and like choked him out. So for me, it's like, as soon as someone like flips that switch for me, it stays on. And I really liked it. Like that one time where he pissed me off at weigh-ins because for an entire day, I didn't have anxiety. I was like, oh, I can't wait to beat up this person, you know? Just yeah. like when you hear about a fighter coming into town that you've never trained with. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get him today. I'm super excited to beat up this guy and do this. Because in training, there's not any consequences if you can't do it. So right. I, for me, I have to like be like, oh, pretend like this guy's just at my gym and he's being a punk. and I just got to put him in his place. Do you ever train with the gi on, any, um, Jordan? Um, not too much when I'm in camp, but I did it, I've done it like twice the past month. You know, just to get a sweat in. Oh, is that why? Just for the heat? You don't actually like. Why does anyone use a gi anymore? I had Nick Rodriguez on the show. He's no gi. I asked. I think I had Chris Montanillo uh, on the show, and I was like, "Hey, should people do gi or no gi?" And you know, I, I think I said to him, "He goes, well, it depends on what you want." I go, "I want it so if my boy's making out with a girl in, a, in an alley and someone comes in there, he can defend the girl." He goes, "No gi," <laughs> and I'm like. Why does anyone do ghee anymore? I feel like humans, we love the fluff. Like we don't just want to learn what's useful. We want to learn like what is interesting or fun. And we want to have like kind of cheat codes. And the ghee gives you so many different avenues of attack and control that allow you to kind of break the rules that would actually happen unless you're fighting somebody in traditional 17th century Japanese like where. Um but a lot that's of people what a gi like, is. That's what a gi is. It's it's 17th yeah. century shit. Okay. Yeah, it's like based on it's it's exactly the kimono. It's a kimono, old school kimonos. Um, same. That's why it's made of that material, and that's why you know 
crosses over on one side. So, I mean, I guess if you're going, if you're fighting some like weeb from Japan, you have a pretty good chance of, you know, maybe finally get to show off that gi um, work. But humans, we like the fluff. We like the ceremony. We like feeling like, oh, yeah, we like to wear something that's like distinguishes you from other people. Like, I think the whole idea of like belts, I understand it like from a business perspective and like a ranking perspective to be able to see how good somebody is from an outward right. marker. Right. But like Nogi, it's just like, it don't matter what belt you are, it chokes you out. You know, like that's the hierarchy. And people like to have a hierarchy. It's like, this is where you belong. People like to know that. And in Nogi, it's like, there's a lack of hierarchies. And I feel like it makes a lot of people anxious about where they fit in or like where they size up to other people. Do, are you, what do you know? What belt are you? Do you do the belt thing? I'm a purple belt. Um, I was a blue belt for eight or nine years because wow. I got my orange when I was 15 okay. and I hadn't worn a gi for eight or nine years. So like one day I went to gi and I'm wearing orange. Belt. They're like, oh, hey, well, you're old. So now you get a blue belt. And then I was teaching the kids class and my kids like, why are you just a blue belt coach Jordan? Then like all the black belts in my gym, like as I was like leading the kids in a warm up, they just all got me a purple belt and they promoted me in front of the kids. Like it's a travesty. You put a blue belt for this law. So maybe eventually by that pacing, I should be a black belt when I'm 40. So, <laughs> but since you never put on the gi and you never put on the belt, I mean, is that something that even happens at your gym at, at syndicate? Do they even do belts there? Um, not really. And they only do gi um for three classes of the week. So you know, um, yeah, a lot of gyms don't emphasize it anymore, especially because from a business perspective, like people got to buy the kimono, and it just the gloves classes are always smaller, and especially now that no gi's exploding and gi's kind of not dying, but it's definitely stagnated. More people are interested, like in the no gi, because it's easier to understand from a layperson, yeah. like a regular person, like stay watching it for the first time. They're watching bunch of lapel work and worm guard they're like they're just pulling on each other's clothes you know it doesn't look very impressive but you watch someone just like grab a kimura or arm bar somebody or strangle somebody you could see that you may not understand all the in-between but like when someone's caught you're like oh what's this what's happening everyone yeah. even if they have no idea what's happening they get super excited when they watch someone lock in a submission because we know how the body is supposed to look and when people contort the little alignment of something it looks threatening yeah so I definitely what, think no gi is the way to go. What was the word you used? Gi is saturated. What was the word you used? A word that was too big for me. Stagnating. What, say it again. Stagnating. Oh, stagnating. Okay, I know that <laughs> word. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it, and when I take the kids to the tournaments, um, there's fewer kids who do no gi. They're bigger. They allow a wider age range and a wider weight range because there's just fewer kids who do it. But I just feel like um, just from just interviewing a bunch of you guys and jujitsu guys that no gi is where it's all headed, especially in the United States. And it's more yeah. functional, I think. Yeah, 100%. And it's just – and plus the gi is like painful, you know. Like I'm getting laser hair removal on my neck because when I do gi, like it would like rip up my skin. I get a bunch of ingrown hairs and sounds like a little pansy thing to do. But like I hated that. Yeah. So I just stopped doing gi because I didn't like my neck being like hickeyed up. You know, I always like, I had hickeys walking around and it like like I have bald spots. So the gi would like rub off parts of like my my beard. So I'm like, nah, like gi's just painful. Getting gi choked 
first off, puts you unconscious way faster because of the leverage. That's never fun. But also, it's just painful. You like leave and you feel like you got Velcroed everywhere. Are are you going to do any other? Um, I see a lot of these guys now do not a lot, but I see guys like doing other stuff. Like James Krause is doing stuff. Cowboys doing other stuff. Um, are you going to be doing that other stuff besides UFC? And are you allowed to do that? Does the UFC contract allow you to dabble in other types of combat sports? If you're not scheduled for a fight, yes. Um, I would like to, like, uh, I did a jiu-jitsu tournament in September. That was fun. Right before my fight was, um, my fight was, my fight was scheduled and signed. So I got to like, kind of have fun. I haven't done jujitsu like about a decade. So that was pretty cool. Where, where uh, was that at? Where was that at? That was just Naga in Las Vegas, so just here. And how did that but, go? Um, I got, I, I didn't get. I got like fourth, I guess technically. But um, I, what's it called? Won my first two rounds pretty like easy because people don't like doing takedowns or wrestling, so they kind of let me. Just, they pulled guard, and I kind of just dominated them and got a pass. But then I faced this really good, um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was an like American national champ, but I didn't know that. And like he caught me in a good hill hook and stuff. And so yeah, he kind of knocked me out of the bracket. So that was frustrating. Do you but, tap um, extra fast knowing that you 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 can't be you you need your body to make a living? Oh yeah, like I t- I tap so fast, like in jiu-jitsu. I'm like, dude, first off, I paid to be here. So right. I ain't gonna pay I ain't gonna pay to get injured. Right. Um well, yeah, to have like, do I feel like I could like could have fought things, fought through things more? Like, yes, if like that was like my why for training and stuff. Like, like it's definitely different. Like in jujitsu, where people jump on you to go for a guillotine. I'm like flashback, like six months ago, I killed a person doing this. Right. So like, why would I train to defend that? You know, I spent a lot of my time doing that. So it's definitely a different like sport. Right. And you know, a lot of people kind of separate the self-defense martial part of the arts you know so that's a little frustrating for me and kind of more of like a practical um like martial arts i like to do things that work if somebody wants to hit you or stomp you and stuff and the right. sports kind of moved away from that and that's good that's good it makes the sport more entertaining and more approachable but for me i'm like well if it was a real fight i would have dominated you even worse and i hate to be that person <laughs> And 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 you were okay with that taking forth. It's, it doesn't affect you. It's not like you walk away with like, wait a second, I'm a UFC fighter. Wait, I'm a professional fighter. You're like, okay, I got the warm up, I got the training, I got in some reps that I wanted. Oh no, it doesn't. I mean, I I hate to lose. I'm competitive, but mm-hmm. um, no, I mean, as long as you know, if they, especially if they, if they do recognize me, they do know who I am. It's like they know the rule sets different. You know, I've I've taken away a lot of my weapons to you know play your guys's game and it's like when mma fighters go into boxing except jiu-jitsu i'm not gonna get knocked out and embarrassed it's like the real man you know goes up and fights under the more dangerous rule set but you're asking me to like protect you you know you want to like man you are but you want me to protect you as well and you know that's just very interesting dynamic for me and you did it as a purple belt that tournament well, they have me since Naga does just um, by experience level. So I was in the black belt and like okay. eight years plus division. So yeah, beat a nice like beat beat a nice two black belts and then um one got me. So I not too bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, we when we had um, Nick Rodriguez on the show, I 
I said something to him like, Hey, like when you, when you put someone in an arm bar, do, are, do you just go and then watch them and then stop when they tell you to stop? Like, like how does that work? Or do you act? And I didn't really think he was going to answer this question is yes. I go, do you really try to break their arm? He goes, dude, I go in there and I'm trying to fucking snap their arm off or break their leg. And like, if they don't tap, that's what's going to happen. And I'm just like, holy shit. Because yeah. I, I, I guess, I guess even when I watch the UFC, I think they know, you know what I mean? Like the fighters know because you do so much training where you don't snap off someone's leg, you know, like you get to a point and then you got, you look at the guy, right. Or you're like, Hey, what the fuck? You better tap. But it's not like that in the ring. Like when you put someone in an armbar in, in the UFC or, or, or in, in any of these fight fights you've been in, like you're just going all the way. Like you're just trying to just break the arm off like a chicken wing. Yeah, and it's because I, le- I learned my lesson in my second amateur fight where basically, like, in the funny video, like basically I'm arm barring him and you seem like grimacing because I don't want to like hook his arm into my armpit to like snap it. And then like I yeah. very slowly do it. But then, like, it pops out and he he taps. I'm like, what an idiot, you know? Like, I will break it. Like, winning's more important to me than like not wanting to hurt you. And it's like, if it's your job to protect yourself at the end of the day. Um, my fifth pro fight, I think, I think it was for LFA. I put a guy in a hill hook. I popped his knee. He didn't tap. And I'm like, okay, pretty stupid. And I put him in a like a arm bar scenario and popped his shoulder very bad didn't tap and i'm like okay like you're not protecting yourself cool but then i locked him in a choke 30 seconds later and he tapped i'm like why of all the things not to t- not to tap to choose a thing that's not gonna hurt you and like oh i'll see him like limp through the airport it may be angry i was like dude like first off you're not gonna beat me on one leg you're not gonna beat me with one leg and one arm you're gonna make me choke you unconscious too so now i just get more annoyed when people don't tap and even in training like unless like they're a high level if you're stubborn, I'll very slowly like go to your end range. Like I'm not going to jump into anything, but you want to have an ego, like it's, it's your medical bill kind of thing. And it's right. not my fault as long as I give you the time and opportunity to take care of yourself. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. When I, when I hear that or see that and, and do they teach you when I hear that and see that I'm like, man, I don't know if my kids should be doing this sport. Um, do they are there rules in gyms like do they tell you when you first go to a gym or is your training and coming up or no this is just stuff that's known everyone has to have enough common sense to figure this out on their own it's really a thing that like people generally just like we all kind of like do personal exploration and stuff like kind of discovered okay this is a d-bag move this is what you do like as long as you give people the opportunity to like protect themselves it's generally not your fault um and also a lot of people they don't, they just, even in jiu-jitsu MMA, they don't know how to break a limb or pop a knee. From I feel like a lot of submissions people get caught in, it's more of a concession hold. Like, people are panicking. And, like... Well, that's interesting people, that, because Nick said, told me that, too. I think he said, yes, a lot of people just tap too early also on the yeah. other end. He said they tap too early, and so they don't get the experience of trying to get out of a tap, uh, get out of a submission. Yeah. And just, and it's led to like a lot of people, their offense not being very effective because they can't, they can't accomplish what, what, what their moves threatening. Like if I have a knee bar, but I have the wrong mechanics, yes, I can hurt. It'll be very painful and uncomfortable for me to straighten somebody's leg. But like, I need, you need some pretty good power and a, and a good optimal angle to really 
hyperextend somebody's needs. Most powerful joint in the body. So like for me, especially because I've been grappling for like 11 years now, like I know how to break a leg. I know how to blow a knee, break an elbow, shoulder. And it's not a concession hold with me because I've been burned too many times in training and in competition where you don't want to like hurt somebody and you very slowly, you very slowly put on the, the, you know, the pressure to get breaking pressure and they, they're not defending in a very controlled like way. They are defending of all their might, all their ability. So it's like, why would I give 40% of my offense to hundred percent of your defense? It's like, no, I gotta, I gotta break you and you gotta stop me from doing that. And, if you can't, then you have to tap, you know? Right. And that's one thing Donna Hare is really good at teaching, just how to break a leg. That's why they're they're the best leg lock gym in the world is because people know, oh, I don't get to use my flexibility on this. Like, you're snapping these ligaments. I'm not going to be able to train for a year if I don't tap to this. And people usually choose the rational decision in those situations to not power through and try to grit their teeth. Yeah yeah man it's a crazy sport you're in um i i hear the guys um you know i guess what makes the news is guys complaining that they don't get paid enough that they don't make enough money for what they do and then on the other hand i hear you say that because of the little bit of success that you've had and the steps you've taken that you're able to not have a day job now that fighting is your day job with the money you've made you're able to um, support your family for the next year or two. Did I understand that correctly? And what makes you different? Um, I I just, especially if you're a fighter, you're generally like sacrifice a lot of working opportunities, maybe even schooling. So as soon as you get some semblance of money, you're like, oh my gosh, baller, you know, this, this, and this. But even like I bonus my first fight. And then after I pay in all my coaches and, management agency it was only like forty nine thousand dollars after the bonus and the pay and that's a pretty decent amount of money if you're not trying to like splurge like unless you're like in cali like even las vegas like that's just by itself like that's several it's like at least two years of rent right and so for me it was like no i'm gonna take care of my biggest expenses first and i'm going to be patient i'm not gonna jump ahead into liabilities that I can't I can't um, keep up with. And a lot of fighters, especially like say if you're married, like they they get to the UFC, they make their first like paycheck and maybe it's only like twenty thousand dollars. Like, okay, this is gonna be my normal. I can get a new house. I can do this. I can stop feeling like a deadbeat. And a lot of fighters they they extend themselves so quickly and not realizing how fickle a lot of the things in this sport are. And do I think we get paid more? Like yeah, hundred percent. Like fighters definitely have a short end of the stick. We don't have any power and um, fighters are too combative with each other to want to really work together and do some like group bargaining. So until we solve our own problems, like it, it's going to be a pretty, um, you're going to get shafted pretty hard. So for me, it's like, if you know our situation's crappy, why are you making it harder on yourself? Why are you living life stupidly? Why are you buying like nice stuff? Like, Right. We're not NFL players, you know, like you have to compete and you have to win to get money. And a lot of fighters just, they're just not smart with their money and they're not realistic about what their future is. Like everyone plans their budget off of a win. 
Like, oh, if I win. They really do that. That just seems so crazy to me. I like what you do. That's what I do too. I, I see your rent or your mortgage as your runway. So if you can have an, if you know your, your mortgage is a hundred dollars a month and you have $2,400, you put it in a bank account and you just gave yourself two years of runway. You'll figure out the food and electricity. You know what I mean? But now you have shelter for two years. Just hide that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I really like your thinking and and that's how I view it. I really view it as his runway. Always have, give yourself as much runway as you can. And, and who wants to be, who wants to live in a $3 million house, but you have to worry about the price of gas and avocados. I'd rather live in a, in a fucking shitty house and, and fill my gas tank up when I want. Yeah. At the end of the day, as long as there's like a roof over your head, like you could skip on other things. Yeah. Like we have evolved over millions of years, to not want to starve to death, you know? So as long as you have a roof over your head, you'll find a way to hustle and get something else to take care of yourself. It's like, I, I like the one quote, it's like, you don't lack opportunity, you lack discipline, you know? Like, yes, you can get lucky. And if you get a bunch of opportunities, like it'll help you out in life. But like discipline at the end of the day, it will get you farther than luck or connection to will. Because I know plenty of people who make a lot of money, but they're broker than I am because yeah. they don't have the discipline. So yeah, di- discipline really is everything. Yeah, Happiness, discipline. money, success, freedom. It, it, it's, it's at the kind of the, the, the center of all those. Yeah. Discipline gives you freedom, you know, yeah. like you have to hold yourself to a certain, like if there's a speed limit and it's 75, it does not affect you. If you're always disciplined and stay at 70, a lot right. of people don't want to don't want to like follow rules they set for themselves. They want to feel free. But yeah. like when you feel free without like the bounds of like discipline, like that's when, that's when consequences happen yeah. and consequences lack your free, like um, lessen your freedom and constrict you. And for me, like nothing is more important than taking care of my family, you know, making yeah. sure we're yeah. here. So I don't care if I have like a crappy 2006 Chevy that like it has two doors and then like doesn't look cool. And I haven't like, up to my lifestyle to match my income like i get to go to bed at night knowing like if i blow out my knee for a year yeah like we're good yeah and nothing's better than having like that freedom and that peace of mind knowing that like hey like unlike all my fa- like i have family members who are like surgeons and lawyers but like they take a year off their their life Most. would fall apart like, yeah i have all this for me as like, i feel so lucky and so blessed because i feel like i have so much because we remain disciplined and it's just a nice place to be, you know, peace of mind. You really can't put a price on it. How how often do you train at the Performance Institute? I'm, uh, I do train and condition in there twice a week. I do physical therapy there four times a week. Oh, wow. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, I use the ice pool like every day. They have a sauna and a spa and I'm there all the time. I'm there at least five times a week. <laughs> For people who don't know, will you tell us what the Performance Institute is, how far it is from your house, how long it's been around? Just tell us about it. Yeah, Performance Institute's been around for about four years. It's basically a headquarters where they give fighters everything that they would need. Because the main goal is to keep fighters in Las Vegas. So that way, if there's a last-minute fight, they could have people there. But um, they have nutritionists, sports scientists, weight room, recovery, physical therapy, Food. And the UFC owns this. It's their. It's theirs. Yeah, and it's um everything's free for the fighters. Basically, they give fighters all the things they complain about, 
you know, that they don't have and they give them access to it for free. But they have to come to Las Vegas or Beijing or they're about to build two more like in Mexico City and one in South Korea. So basically they're giving fighters access to things that make fighting expensive. And it's just a hub and they they they, they take your information kind of like social media like if you use strength conditioning they have to do diagnostics on you. So that way they could put you inside like a chart and compare you to other people in your weight class. So it's all you know they're all just trying they're planning for the future. Like they're trying to make fighters healthier. And it's actually cool, kind of cool because that's why you've seen a lot of these fighters move up, move up in weight classes and just have healthier weight cuts. It's because the UFC Performance Institute and all the nutritionists on staff, and they know exactly what weaknesses you have. When you do a body diagnostics test and your VO2 max, like they know exactly how to help you. And that's why I'm like, dude, like training's not expensive anymore. Like, and they're about to build a hotel next to the institute too. So they're basically going to have a hotel that will be like a few dollars a night. So fighters from all around the world can fly in, stay at the Institute and have cheap housing here. So that way we could actually focus on fighting. The goal of the Institute was to up the standard for UFC athletes. And it really has done that. And I live 10 minutes away from it. I have like access to all these perks year round. Uh, do they teach classes there? They don't teach classes, but like you could train a few UFC champions there because everyone's there all the time. So it allows you to network also because, say, if like, you know, Francis Ngannou is a champion, he's there every day. Brandon Moreno, he's a 125-pound champ. He's always there. It allows you to network. And when fighters have communication with each other, especially since it's been the combative, like, adverse, like, um, with a, like, where everyone, you kind of see everybody as, like, an adversary. Right. It, it's kind of like a neutral ground where fighters can talk about sponsorships, talk about this, 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 and this. And I think it's a really good um I think it's a really awesome thing that we have and a lot of fighters don't take advantage of it. Majority of the fighters still don't use the institute. Is it pretty empty in there when you go in there? Pretty empty especially when you think of the size of the roster. I see the same dozen and a half people. A lot of people they're like and I understand the paranoia. They're afraid like say for example theoretically like you go there, you get the body diagnostic test. They know exactly how good your cardio is, how fat you are. And a lot of people are afraid that if the UFC has the information, they could like use it against you. Like say if they're pissed off at you and they know you're not in shape, they'll give you a fight with somebody they know is in great shape. You know, so a lot of fighters are like kind of scared of the UFC having the information on them out of the fear that they'll get taken advantage of. But I think that's a fair concern. But um, for me, it's like, especially because like I score high and all those things, I guess because like I'm, I'm doing well. Like I don't want to worry about them using my information right. against me. Right. But um, I understand a lot of fighters and their um, apprehension at letting the UFC know everything about their bodies, know what they're doing, their injuries, this, this, and that. It can be uncomfortable for some, somebody to have all that information on you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you say that to me, I'm like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But – that being said, when you said there was a sports psychologist on staff, I, I immediately went to that place in my head. I was like, oh, if I was a UFC fighter, I wouldn't go to that sports psychologist because he's fucking he talks to all the fighters. And I don't want to talk to the same guy who knows all the fighters. I don't want him <laughs> to know, like, I don't want him to tell him my daddy issues. And then he, you know, it just seems like I just would ha I would just have trust issues there. So I get it. It, it, it. Can you bring guests there? Can you bring a friend there? Yeah, you bring you can bring four. Every fighter can bring up to three people. 
Holy so shit. Have, yeah. And if you have like a group of friends, like you have several UFC fighters, you can basically bring an entire team of people. Like some people, it's like basically they have like five UFC fighters. They'll bring about 15 people. And that's a, that's a team. And also a lot of coaches don't like the PI because it gives fighters a way to kind of break away from toxic environments because you can just meet up with some UFC fighters you like, or maybe you've already fought before. So there's not, you guys aren't going to fight again and you can get good training with like quality people and not have to worry about all the fluff and you have control. But so you, you could bring, so you could bring a coach there and two fighters and be like, okay, listen, uh, Jordan Levitt has a fight in three weeks. We're going to come here every day. Your, your guys' job is to push the shit out of them. And your yeah. coach basically can just take you guys there. You guys can train, uh, sauna, ice, eat, repeat three times a day and just fucking grind there. Yeah. Man, and that is so cool. Say that again. Yeah, and a lot of coaches don't like that because fighters, a lot like Aljamain Sterling, um, and like, like he's like a champion that, and, and the 125-pound champ, they're constantly just at the PI. They organize their camps around them. And that used to be super expensive to kind of get your own space, pay the mat fee, fly out training partners. But who doesn't want like free recovery, free food? Free Who's the 125 food? champ? That's Moreno. Yeah. Like okay. they just do their own camps. Like they bring in like a five or six people that they really like trust. Yeah. And they just get good quality work in. And what, you're in what and if out their competitor was there doing the uh, camp also? What would happen? Is there enough and, room? When the, with the UFC PI, when they see two people in the similar rankings or they know they have beef, they have like yeah. a list. Basically, they'll make you have the schedule things. Okay. So, you know, you only get this place for an hour, but since no one uses the PI really, and especially because they're opening one up in Mexico yeah. and then in China and Brazil, like they're going to have one, all of the major fight hubs soon. So it's only going to get less crowded. And so it'll basically give ways for fighters to kind of organize their own camps and have a neutral ground. And I think it's a really awesome development. Can, um, can other people from the outside buy memberships there? No, no, there's no, like, you can't like put down $200,000 and be like, okay, I want access. No, no. Nah, I mean, if the, so basically UFC fighters, they get precedent. So even if like, there are people who will train with the strength and conditioning staff, uh -huh. but they're only allowed to train uh, outside athletes. If no UFC fighter is scheduled for them time for their time, and if UFC fighter says, "Hey, I want to work out this time," they have to kick the other person out. So, like, I saw Caleb Plant, like who was like Fox Canelo, like five six months ago. He was yeah. there, yeah. But either way, for a fighter to open up, you know, we see NFL players and this, this, and that. But they're all on fighters' um, schedules. So, but but you can go in. Is it open twenty four hours a day for you? Um, no, it's open for like, it's open from like eight to seven. So 11 hours, but all the day hours. And you don't, and you don't have to sign up. Like, like, like you could, if like, you, like if we get off this call and you're like, fuck, I'm just, I feel like going over there and getting an ice bath. You can just go over there and do that. Yeah. That's what I tell you I'm going to do after this, you know, <laughs> that's head over awesome. and, you know, pick up my meal prep and yeah, just chill. And they, <laughs> and they do the meal prep over there for you too. Yeah. They handle all fight week. And I guess, They'll, they have to make you three meals a day. Like you could honestly, and they'll even they'll make meals for you over the weekend. Like if you're a fighter, you don't have to even get your food. They handle all your food expenses if you're okay being on the menu. How the hell? I don't get why every fighter who does who's not attached to where they live doesn't move to Vegas and get on that bandwagon. The food thing yeah. alone sounds amazing. 
yeah, like they, and like we have four nutritionists on staff and, you know, they'll make the meals, they'll tailor them around what you need. They could tell you the daily expenditure of your calories. They could t- like, they could really just take all the guesswork out just like the Olympic training centers are and people, fighters don't like it. <laughs> Man, that must be hard for fighters who use that place. And then if you get cut from the UFC, that must be a f- yeah. Cause you could just be addicted to that place. Um, one, um, uh, that guy, uh, I had a Chris on the show, Montanillo, and he took a last minute fight with 10 days notice against Sean O'Malley. Yeah. And one of the cool things that I, that I was happy to hear is that he got a four fight contract. Cause I always thought, Oh shit. I bet you they just like, they're like, Hey, here's 20 bucks, get in there and fight him. And then they cut him loose. That's what I would have just assumed. And it's cool that he got to fight. Um, Sean got to have that crazy uh, debut, and then he has, and then he had three more fights. He has three more fights on the card. Um, is that the same way it is for the way you came in? Did the contender series guys get four fights? Yeah, basically every contract is a four to six fight deal for everyone. Um, <clears throat> yes. Okay. But um, so basically, but if you but the UFC could cut you anytime they want. So, um it's not really like the contract that protects you. Like say if you get a four fight contract, but you lose your first two, you're out. Even yeah. if there is four fights in a contract, cause um, the contract doesn't really have anything that kind of restricts the UFC's ability to like handle you as like a fighter and they're stable. But, um, oh, okay. But, um, yeah, like Chris Mont, I can't pronounce his last name right now. Basically yeah, Monta- he's Monta- like over Montanee you Yeah. He, ba- he, has so many followers on Instagram now because his fight with Sean O'Malley was crazy. Yeah. And he probably gets a good contract because he's so popular and stuff now. So now that he's made good money for his last fight, he has so much time and time and stability if he chooses to live that way to prepare for his next fight. And a lot of fighters, they just, they don't want to do the business aspect of it. They don't want to build their brand, which gives them more rev- um, negotiating power to leverage you know what they have and yeah it's a good it's a good era to be a smart fighter who focuses on the outside things yeah okay so so they basically so that's interesting so it's really not even a four fight deal no it's a so basically if you win it's a four fight deal okay you know which is kind of a no duh right yeah but generally if like you win two fights in an impressive fashion in a row you renegotiate your contract anyway. I know okay. very few people who like just go through their four fights and they win them and then go to their next contract. Because generally, if you win two in a row, you get to renegotiate your contract and make more money anyway. So four fight contracts, the first contract are very rarely actually finished because they're either renegotiated or you get cut beforehand. Right. And is that on every fighter's mind in every fight? Like, oh, shit. Like... I, th- this is every fight is a job, another job interview. Yeah, it is stressful. Um, because unless you've won your fight before, like there's always a chance you could lose. You lose your, you get kicked out if you lose. So, I mean, I think I should I, theoretically. I think if even if I lost this one, I'd have I'd have to lose the next one to be cut, unless it was very very embarrassing and dominant. But um. Generally speaking, the UFC tries to give you the benefit of the doubt in terms of like winning and losing, especially for your first contract. And as long as you win one of your first 
like three, you generally should finish your first contract. So it's a little nerve wracking, but you know, other jobs, if you have a really bad day at the office, they could fire you too. So, yeah. It, I'm guessing it also depends on what weight class you're in too. I'm guessing that some weight classes are super duper competitive. I have no idea which ones they are, but I mean, if they have a class with like 200 guys versus like, I mean, it seems like the, the heavyweights would be an easier place to hang out than the weight class you're in. Your weight class seems just really impacted. Like the, the, the comp, the, there's more people applying for the job. Yeah. A third of the roster is lightweight. So Holy shit. That's a yeah. true stat. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So lightweight division is bigger than all three women's divisions put together and oh. heavyweight. So oh my God. Like and that's only like active fighters. Because there's some fighters that are still on contract, but they're not very active. So the lightweight division is huge. You know, I think it breaks up to like basically like thirty percent of all fighters are lightweight. And then like featherweight's the next biggest one, bantamweight, and then it's 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 crazy. So yeah, my weight class, it's very competitive. Like there are several win streaks in my weight class that are like bigger than five. Yeah, no other weight class has that. But since there's yeah. so many damn people in lightweight, you could fight. You could uh, you could climb the rankings without fighting like dozens of other people. But if you're a heavyweight, you can't skip eight people in the rankings. You know, um, there's not that many people. <laughs> And there's some people like, you know, who's fighting this week on your card is uh, Cub Swanson. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, how long has he been in the UFC? It's crazy. Been, Where's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he's been forever. You know, um, Cub Swanson gone to UFC like the same time as Cowboy did. So he's been there for a while. And there's a bunch of guys like that, or or or, or like even even Oliveira. Look at, I mean, he had to win like nine or ten fights in a row before he got a chance at the title. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nuts. It's a crazy division. No, like a lot of fighters, they don't, you know, they don't, especially in the upper divisions, they just can't. You can't compare it. Like Israel Adesanya, he was champion in like seven fights, uh -huh. you know, because the weight class is relatively small, so you win seven fights in a row, like. And he, he was a champ in like two and a half years. That will never happen at lightweight because there are there are ninety five ranked fighters at lightweight. Like they had the rankings up to like ninety five. So well, Chandler to, almost pulled off something weird, right? Yeah, because he went from Bellator and then he got one fight. They gave him a title fight. Yeah, kind of annoying, but um, yeah, but it's, you know the rankings don't really mean anything in the UFC. Because if you're popular, they'll give you a fight. They'll give you any fight that you want as long as it makes sense money-wise. So if you have the following, the rankings don't matter. Conor McGregor will get a will get a title fight for no reason because he's Conor McGregor. So right. I mean, he's already from from just what the looks of what's going on on Twitter. He's already demanding another title fight. Yeah. Who and knows? Then if he any... builds the hype, then. UFC will cave and he'll get a title fight after losing his last three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think he's done? Um, I don't mean like, done, I mean, like he's going to retire, but do you think his, his best days are behind him? Oh yeah. Most definitely. Um, okay. it's just Connor McGregor had like the same problem as not the same, but very similar problem to Anderson Silva. 
Conor McGregor is a press is a pressuring counterfighter. It's like he doesn't really lead very well. The moment people realize that, wait, if I just counter McGregor, he's not nearly as dangerous and he can't hit me nearly as hard because I'm not running into all these punches. Right. So I feel like now that people either they're not scared of him, they know the trash talk is just they know if they ignore the trash talk, it's not going to you know mess with them too much. Um, it's just he's very beatable now. He's been beaten every way. Now he's been beat by knockout and submission and injury. So people, so people know what to do to him now, and he looks human. A lot of the great fighters that really have good streak, it's like basically like their aura or their reputation did half the work for them. Right. So it happened to Ronda Rousey too, right? Once someone cracked a code, then it was just like, oh shit. Yeah, it broke her psyche and also it kind of made everyone realize, oh, this person's human. Like Amanda Nunes this past weekend. Like Yeah, oh, that was him. nuts. I love Amanda and stuff, but like you know, she's in the two least competitive divisions for women, it's MMA. And she's, they consider her the the quote, you know, because uh, she won both belts, but there's like five people at women's featherweight. So that belt shouldn't really count because you can't even do a top 10 rankings. They made it so that way Cyborg could have a belt because Cyborg was too big to come to 35. And then Amanda Nunes, she's been champ for, it seems like a very long time. But she only defended her bantamweight belt six times. And Ronda Rousey did that in two years. So it was kind of nice to see the undefeated. She's unbeatable. And then kind of like you could see she got broken. She got broken and still commit some adverse adversity. And it was kind of a nice thing to watch. And I feel like it's going to make the women's division better as a result. Because now everyone's like, wait, yeah, we can we can beat unbeatable people. We can, you know. You're, all you're telling me is I need to have the right game plan. It doesn't matter if you're better than me. As long as I know how to approach you, I can beat you. And it's always nice because every division kind of has that moment where you realize that the dude, the man, can get beat and makes the division more competitive. I, I like I like uh, Pena. I don't want to say anything. Ne- I, this is going to come across negative, but she almost doesn't even look like a professional athlete. Like I know. Her, and, and yet her, she... She is is the term made her wilt. You almost said I think that you were gonna you were basically saying that you enjoyed that's the part that you like. You didn't use that word wilt, but I've heard other fighters on the show say that. Or basically that is like the feeling you want as a fighter when you feel the other guy wilt. And that's basically what she did to Nunez, right? I mean, she basically just stood in her face long enough that Nunez's spirit was broken more than more than actually physically beating her. Yeah. A lot of people, especially if like they're a bully. And they're used to be dominant. Like the moment you're not dominant, it's like, dang, what I usually have done that makes me successful. I'm not doing that. And people break like first person who flinches loses kind of thing. And a lot of, a lot of times, like some people, you're just not going to beat them the first few minutes, but fatigue makes a coward of us all. Adversity makes a coward of us all Mm. is view last long enough. And like you like endure, Everyone will break eventually, or at least they'll flinch. The moment they flinch, you have an opening. So it was nice to watch Pena kind of lose the first round pretty bad. And then she was like, well, basically, I just got to go out there and not die. I'm going to break her of my will. And that's what she did. And it yeah. was a very beautiful thing to watch. Um, other fights that, you know, uh, basically, uh, um, Poirier gave fucking Oliver everything in the kitchen sink. 
I mean, it's crazy that Oliveira survived those 56 fucking face shots in the first round. And then even Sean O'Malley, I want to say, in that fight against Chris, I, I heard him in an interview afterwards saying his knuckles were still sore two months later. And he claims he he if they wouldn't have stopped the fight, he was going to knock Chris out. But another part of me thinks that we were one round, if they would have let that go four rounds, that Chris was going to win. That yeah. basically he was fighting a zombie and it was starting to get into his head a little bit. Yeah, and I definitely and, and they ended the fight super early because whatever. But um you so, no, so you didn't like that stoppage? You didn't like that stoppage? I, I no, find that interesting from you because I know you got the big heart and you're like, all right, enough, enough of this beating. I feel like like if I'm a fighter getting like mauled, like, yeah, end the fight, you know. But when a, you you can tell from the opening bell that Chris's idea like I'm gonna walk through things, I'm yeah. not gonna get finished. And I feel like at that point he earned the 20 mm. seconds more. He wasn't going to get any more hurt in those last 20 seconds now that Sean O'Malley was tired, you know? And I feel like sometimes a fighter earned the, the right to, you know, see the bell. Like Calvin Cater versus Max Holloway should have been ended. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that was hard to watch. That was immediate. I don't think he's ever going to recover from that. I don't think he's ever going to be the same fighter. It's because his ego is too big and his corner, you, you know. You're saying Calvin may never be the same fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. He took the most significant strikes of any fight ever, you know. And it's not like it wasn't competitive the first few rounds. It was, you know. But I feel like when you've get, gotten pasted for like 20 minutes straight, that's why you should be able to trust your corner. Like, you should be like, okay, my fighter doesn't have it. Like, if you know he's going to go out on a shield, why the hell would you send him out there? Right. You know, if you have hope, that's when you push someone out there. If you don't have hope, there's no reason to, you know, go. You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy, Jordan? That fucking guy, Calvin Cater, Rob Font, and Chris Montanillo, those guys are all in the same camp. Yeah. Their heads are like anvils. Yeah. Are these the three toughest guys in the world? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, imagine how hard they spar if they're that tough when the lights are on. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Did you watch the font um Jose, Jose Aldo fight? Yes, I did. It must it must be very frustrating to cuz Rob Font was winning every round until he get dropped. Like Jose had the exact, you know, he won the only way he was going to win, like I'm going to hit him hard and he hit him hard every yeah. round off the rounds, you know, and it's frustrating to see somebody like do better than somebody the entire time than like get damaged the last little bit. Yeah. So Rob Font, like, you know, he, he definitely could have won that. It's just fights are decided by like three or five instances. And they happen just not to be any of his instances that he like had the advantage in. So some fighters don't watch fights. Why why do you do you watch like like do you watch fights? Like did you watch the whole card last week? I don't watch the whole card. I watch like fights I have emotional attachment to, or I watch my division. Okay, um, makes sense. Like it's a big commitment of time for me. Um, yeah, especially the baby and like Saturday is like kind of a half day. So um, if my teammates are on it, and it's not my division. I kind of don't. I kind of watch it after the fact. I'm, okay, what fights were good? I look it up, and then I okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And and is the fight free at the PI? 
Yes, I'll be yeah, I'll be on ESPN, not pay per view. So I'm pretty excited. But but I mean, the pay per view. Can you go to the P? Have you ever been at the PI when a pay per view is going? And you're like, ah, oh, it's free here. Oh yeah, it's empty. It's kind of cool. Um, and they don't play it at the PI, sadly. But yeah, oh, they like, don't. They don't. No, they don't. They play the same reruns on the TV all the time. So that's one downside. They don't give oh. you a damn remote for the TVs. But um. Dude, just go to is go to the front desk and just tell them, hey, can you get the pay per view? That makes no <laughs> sense. They got to show it at the PI, right? Um, Derek Lewis is on them on the, in the in the main event this weekend. Are you going to get a photo with him? I hope so. There's a few people on that card I've been wanting to meet for a long time. And Angela Hill, I have to get a picture of her. Yeah, that'd She's be been cool. A little, little social media homie, Derek Lewis, Wonder Boys there. Oh Dude, yeah, it's a pretty. It's a nice like end of the year card, and I'm kind of, even though I'm a little frustrated because all those names, that means we're all competing. All the other less known guys were competing for those that one bonus that's going to be left over. So that's a little, eh. but I'm pretty excited to meet a bunch of people I've looked up to. Um, the good news is is that a lot of times he gives more than one bonus. Yeah, especially the last two weeks he gave six last week and then four the week before. So. Yeah, crazy. I um he is uh, Derek, and you um are. I really like both your personalities. I haven't had the opportunity to speak with Derek, but I, I just like that he is who he is. I like you because you are who you are. Um, you know, these it's it's just nice to see people that are um they didn't they didn't open the dictionary and be like, okay, I should behave like this to be a fighter. I should say this to be a fighter. So I, I I'm kind of excited. It would it would be it would it would warm my heart to see you post a picture of you and Derek together. I'd be like, yeah, the homies are together. They're cut from the same cloth and they're brought back together. <laughs> um, Jordan, before I let you go, I want to say, give you a word of encouragement. Not the fact that you're gonna fucking kick ass this weekend, but that on your YouTube channel you have not posted in ten months a review of a book, and I think that that is a huge mistake because we all know that you're a voracious reader. Everyone always asks you about your reading. And I think that it's, I think that you should do a book review for every book you do, even if it's just a couple minutes. So those are the words I wanted to leave you with. That is, that is my new year's resolution. To do you know, a review I got a little, book? it's fun. Cause I still film them. I, uh, I oh, still you're just film not the posting videos. them. I just haven't posted it. Yeah. Oh, I even just, better. Dude, get on it. I know. My like my family's like no, you should do it. You know, especially because I enjoy it and everything. It's just editing is like the hardest part. You know, like cutting things out. So can't you definitely be, my goal for next year? When I get this fight, I'm gonna get a bonus and I'm gonna get all these videos posted and made. <laughs> awesome. So you don't just do it in one take. You don't set your iPhone up and be like, okay, guys, here's the book. It's Michael Singer's Untethered. I just read it. Took me three days to read it. Read it. My favorite part is it's not like that. It's like you're actually editing them. Yeah, they're usually about like 25 minutes because I ramble a lot. And then I'm like, okay, that's not important. Let me cut that out kind of thing. So, yeah, I kind of just like talk to the camera and my wife will ask questions about it. I answer it and then, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm just, I'm technologically like stupid. So it, um, <laughs> you could do the whole bit. thing on your phone, dude. You should, you could do the whole thing on your phone. You could like literally uh, the, uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, John Brzezink, is the world's greatest arm wrestler who ever lived. He just fired up a YouTube channel and he's just been just doing these shows and it's nuts. 
it, it, it's so basic. And then he just hits send and it goes up to YouTube and he gets, you know, fucking 500 comments. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. People, people will start eating that up. It, it, it makes you, um, it makes you, you. And I think it's just a tremendous role model for everyone out there in the world. It, it, you even Thank said you. that, like, what did you say? You only read 26 books last year. That was like an all time low for you or something. I saw in one of your interviews. Yeah. Since I started reading, like twenty six is like the least amount I've ever read. Yeah, that's so, nuts. Yeah, it's the baby. My baby being the NICU kind of like put me in a little like a little like a little bit of a like depression, you know, when she's the NICU and yeah, we're all just at home and that would kind of like knock me out of like my groove for a little bit. Because then even when she was home, like you're all worried that your baby's gonna get sick again. So for like maybe like the first month my baby was born, like I didn't read a single page i was too busy like worrying just on like, alert yeah just like at night which like i would like watch her like for like hours like, what was your like, deal what was up with her why was she in the nicu jordan i don't remember um she just did, she just wasn't good at breathing so okay. she was born and she would just stop breathing like and her heart rate would like drop and so she like would turn blue and just pass out wow and the doctors never really did figure out so it was just very jarring and definitely still have a little insecurities about my baby you know yeah is it have there been any incidents in the last few months not the last few months she's only had two episodes where her we got her little outlet and like heart rate monitor too just to make sure she only yeah. ever had two she had one at time where she turned blue and she and we like woke her up and she like was fine she kind of like got her color back real quick and then one time where her heart rates dropped but we're Basically, we'll have another kid as soon as we're used, as soon as we're comfortable for not sleeping with the heart rate monitor on. So yeah, oh, good on you. You're gonna love it. The more, the merrier. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 uh, there's there's nothing better. Hey, did it did it make you soft at all? When I was talking to James Krause, he was saying having kids can make fighters soft. Did it make you soft at all? It makes a lot of fighters soft. So does marriage. Um, a lot of fighters like. They fight because it's like part of their identity. Like, oh, I'm this, I'm hard. And so once they their edges get a little smoothed out and you have a kid and you play dress up or you play pickaboo, it's kind of hard to be a killer. But I never was a killer. So I think it actually makes me a better fighter. <laughs> awesome. All right, dude, I'm super stoked to watch you fight. I really you. appreciate your time, Jordan. I look forward to um, uh, talking to you again and continuing our relationship uh, Saturday. 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on ESPN Plus. That's where I watch it, right? That's yep. normally where I watch it. I just do it on Apple TV. Um, Jordan uh, Levitt is fighting uh, Matt Sales. Everyone, that's the only fight you need to watch. Watch that one and then come back at the end for Derek Lewis you're, and, you, and you're good. You get the rest <laughs> of the day for yourself. Thanks, man. Thank you. You have a good one, man.